I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We're sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time. Hello and welcome to the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. My name is Adam Bayfield and I'll be your host tonight. And with me as always is a man known to his friends as Tony, but who has now managed to get it written into his show contract to be referred to here exclusively as Mr Kerr. How's it going this week, Mr Kerr? Well, good. Well, in parts. Yeah, alright, I guess. I'm excited, man. We've got a a jam-packed episode coming up. There's been so much cricket happening and I just I can't wait to talk about it all. Really exciting cricket, you know, tomorrow we've got uh, Northern Districts v Central Districts in the New Zealand Domestic League. Uh, the UAE just beat the USA in a 2020 game. So much cricket going on, I can't wait to get stuck oh, into no. it. I'm excited too, now you've mentioned it. Yeah. I thought we were going to come here, I thought there was no cricket to talk about, but you've really opened my eyes. I've certainly got no intention of talking about the Ashes, if that's what you came here for. You mentioned it, didn't you? We've got a series on our hands, haven't we? What a weekend. Where do you want to start then? I'd prefer that we didn't even mention it. We've dropped it, haven't you? You've dropped it once. No, that's yeah. it. That's, that's it. That's the one and only mention. Great coverage of the Ashes, as always, on the World <laughs> Cricket Show. I mean, it genuinely ruined my weekend, Tone. This is another example of me arguably caring about cricket too much, where I sort of feel personally humiliated <laughs> uh, as I spent the weekend just very upset about the whole thing. There were moments, there were moments when uh, I, I think waking up on uh, on Saturday morning to uh, the front page headline on BBC Sport, boycott saddened by pathetic England. <laughs> that, was the, that was the headline. Uh, you know, that was, that was not what I wanted on my birthday. <laughs> saddened is such a good <laughs> That's brilliant. The come down for England fans has been pretty extraordinary, hasn't it? I mean, I couldn't have been more excited last Wednesday as I was settling in on the sofa, watching the build-up on Sky, getting ready for that first ball to be bowled. I was like a, a kid on, on Christmas morning. By the end of the game, I, I was choosing not to watch any of it because, <laughs> because it was too awful. Well, here's the thing, and it is easy to, to say it now, but in a way I am slightly I'm slightly, slightly more excited about the series now because uh, you know the Aussies have actually made a game of it. Uh, which is good of them for once in the last kind of, you know, in recent history. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah I lo- thanks. I like that we're still capable of being condescending yeah. to the Aussies. How, how did you find the, uh, the late night watching experience? How late did you manage to stay up on that well, Thursday? Monday and, sorry, not Monday, uh, Thursday and Friday, sorry, Wednesday and Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Do you want me to sing the Rebecca Black song again, Tone? Would this help to I'm just Because I'm, I'm getting my mornings confused here. Anyway, Wednesday night and Thursday night, I stayed up till lunch, which I thought was pretty reasonable. You know, yeah. Could have gone later, probably, but I didn't want to show off. You know, Didn't need to. Didn't, didn't need to prove anything to anyone. Uh, but yeah. yeah, I mean, fairly entertaining first morning. I mean, the first kind of 10 overs were 
it seems like a lifetime ago now yeah. of course the first kind of seven eight nine ten overs of that first morning were great entertainment weren't they there were wickets there were runs uh you know it looked like we were in for a good day went to bed the aussies were two down woke up you know brilliant just two more wickets to get uh watched them get them on the second morning uh, on thursday night uh watched those two wickets fall went to bed on on friday well was it thursday night friday morning having seen trot go uh with a slight tinge of wor- worry you know still comfort over overriding confidence but yeah definitely an undercurrent of of nerves uh and then greeted by absolute misery on friday morning well i uh i managed to stay up till lunch on the first day but i really struggled i think that this match has really made me realize that i've gotten old in the last three years i've gotten old because three years ago on the last tour you know it would get to midnight and be like oh brilliant now oh, the cricket's on now i'll just watch this and now midnight is two hours after my bedtime so i'm really struggling to even get there let alone to <laughs> to the lunch break so what i thought is that after that first day because then the next day at work i was just absolutely knackered i was walking around like a zombie i was like it was, I was like having jet lag all over again do you remember we went to america to oh, yeah. so then i thought i'll tell you what i'll do instead is i'll go to bed at a normal time but i'll get up early i'll get up a couple of hours early and watch the last session rather than the first session and that's what i i plan to do so i woke up at about five uh, on the second day and turned on the radio to hear Boycott going pathetic, absolutely <laughs> pathetic. My, my first thought was, honestly, we bowled them out again. <laughs> yeah, and then the, the, the stark realisation of what had actually happened came over me like a wave. And uh, well, It's that first time you check the scorecard in the morning, isn't it? And you are kind of half asleep. And, I, you know, it is still, it's the, sadly enough, the first thing I thought about each morning. <laughs> yeah. It was like, oh, oh, yeah, what's the cricket score? check it and then it takes a little while for it actually to sink in yeah well i i would sometimes wake up at about three dreaming about the cricket <laughs> and check my ecb app to see the score and it, it slowly refreshes and adds one wicket at a time so you see <laughs> yeah. oh bell's out roots out priors out oh god yeah it was it was it was awful because i did quite well with I thought, you know don't find it too difficult to stay up you know you, you might think that these years of uh, these past few years of kind of late nights and, and partying I've just been having fun. Well, no, it's been preparation, <laughs> practice for uh, practice for the Ashes. But it's remarkable how much less stimulating, like a really slow over of Test cricket at two o'clock in the morning, is than loud music. <laughs> well, particularly and alcohol. Particularly when your team is losing. This is yeah. the thing, isn't it? And yeah, the, the the contrast between how I felt before the fourth day of the game to how I felt before the first day of the game is remarkable. And yeah, on that that first that that Wednesday night, I really was so excited watching all the build-up for, you know, a few hours before, watching some some reruns of uh, past Ashes series that Sky was playing. Managed to miss the toss uh, after that three hours of build-up, whatever. I was I was putting the rubbish out and missed missed the thing that, you know, I'd been waiting for. How did you manage that? I don't really know. I don't really know what I was thinking. I missed the uh, the first wicket as well. I was just doing a quick bit of vacuuming. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, didn't see Michael Clark get out. I was just doing a little bit of plastering. I had a bit of dry rot that needed sorting out, so, so I was just taking care of that. Uh, <laughs> well, for me, the coverage was not just for me. For everyone who was watching, it was dominated by the words batting paradise. And that's all they could talk about the, the, the pundits for the first two days of the test as 20 wickets fell in like <laughs> less than four sessions or five sessions, whatever it was in the end. So, but I thought it was a great start from Sky. I thought it was a great start, great first test. Did you... I didn't see, I, and I got the text from you, I didn't, I've not seen Ash's Breakfast yet <laughs> and I'm looking forward to that. I was just about test. to ask you, <laughs> did you watch Ash's Breakfast because... Because what Sky have done, for, sorry, for those, yeah, who, for those of you who don't watch Sky or 
in the UK or whatever. I don't know how they do it elsewhere. Uh, but Sky filled all of the day with different, differently branded and presented cricket programs. So you've got, what do you, I mean, the crickets, the build-up starts at 11. That takes you through till 7. Yeah. Then you've got, what, Ash's Breakfast at 8? Yeah. Bit of downtime. And then you've got something like Ash's Review, then Ash's The Verdict, and then <laughs> something else. Yeah, there's Ash's yeah. Review, Ash's Highlights, Ash's Extra, Ash's The Verdict, Classic Ashes, <laughs> Ash's Legends. For me, Ash's The Verdict is the must-see with Bob Willis yeah. and Charles Colville. Haven't got around to watching Breakfast yet. Ash's Breakfast is, is hilarious. It's with uh, Mark Butcher and Rachel Brooks. It's just them showing the highlights, but there's like a little bit of punditry with Butcher. But they've, yeah, I can't believe you haven't seen it. It's so good. They've got it set up <laughs> instead of in a studio. I, th- I don't know whether it actually is. I guess it must be, but it's like in the Sky Canteen. But it sort of looks like they're in Costa or something. <laughs> there's like this kind of coffee shop. Oh, no, there is a there's the Sky Coffee Shop. I yeah. think that's what it is. But So that's where they're presenting the show from. But it's just really funny because in the background, there's all these baristas just going about their business, making drinks and stuff. And so there'll be like a bit where Rachel Brooks will say to, to Butcher, oh, so what do you make of Broads Bowling? And he'll be like, yeah, no, I thought he bowled well, got, you know, pitched the ball up, got a few wickets. And in the background, someone's just making a smoothie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> Ashes. That sounded very, very downbeat yeah. and probably with good reason, because this is the part of the show where we talk about the ashes. And Tony, the ashes have started and it literally couldn't have gone worse from an English perspective. England were absolutely walloped by a rampant Australian team in Brisbane. Uh, Michael Clark won the toss, elected to bat first. And it really seemed like England were in control of the game when they reduced Australia to 132 for six. Uh, Brad Haddin and Mitchell Johnson put together a partnership to to get Australia back in into the match. Uh, but even so, you felt that England were on top when uh, they were all out for 295. But then England were blown away by Mitchell Johnson, who took four for 61, and Ryan Harris, who took three for 28, as the tourists were skittled out for just 136 on the second day. That was a lead for Australia of 159, and they built on it confidently. Dave Warner and Michael Clark both hitting hundreds, another half century for Brad Haddon. They declared on 401 for seven, and with two full days left, the result was never really in doubt at that point, but England didn't even put up much of a fight in the second innings. They were all out for less than 200 again, 179, only Alistair Cook with 65, providing any kind of resistance. And Johnson completed a magnificent return to Test cricket by taking five for 42. So, Helen Mirren, Daniel Radcliffe, the shadow business secretary, Chuka Amuna. Looks like our boys took one hell of a beating. There's an awful lot to untangle here, Tone. Uh, obviously, the day after the end of the game, Jonathan Trott flew home from the tour, revealing that he's been suffering from a stress-related illness. Also, Michael Clark was fined for something that he said on the field. We'll get into that stuff later, but let's start off with the actual match itself. Put this into perspective for us, would you? <laughs> Clearly, this was a hammering. Should England fans be as panicked and should Australian fans be as delighted as they respectively seem to be? Well, well, probably not, you'd say. Uh, but then credit to Australia. I mean, certainly, you know, they did the elements of the game better than maybe we thought they might. They, they, they battered a bit better and they bowled a bit better. They got it right, didn't they? And England, England were poor, but I don't, I don't think we can get too far ahead of ourselves with this. I don't know, and England will effectively start again, won't they, in Adelaide? Because they've got the best part of two weeks off. They've got a tour match in between. 
so there's a, there's, this is if, if you're going to get hammered, it may as well be in the first game. But yeah, I mean, credit to Australia. They did look really good and there was some really great performances in there. Well, yeah, and as much as, yeah, you can say, well, this is this is just one game and this is just something that England will put out of their minds and bounce back from. You know, they've lost by 381 runs, which is one of the biggest margins of defeat in terms of runs in their test history. Is that something that they can just brush aside and, and move on from? Or, you know, is, is this going to mentally scar them well, it's, it's possible, and it, you know, we said at the start of the, you know, when we said in the preview, obviously England rely on, and in the, certainly with a team that's slightly less solid looking, slightly less settled with Root and Carberry, relative newcomers. You know, we thought that the other senior players, though, I thought the other senior players, they'd have enough to be the bedrock of which round like Carberry and Root could play. But losing Trot is is a massive blow, has to be said, and the, the whole thing is now up in the air slightly. And the greatest sympathy for Trot because clearly he wasn't right but yeah you know we we thought I thought certainly he'd get runs this winter you know his, his bad run couldn't continue indefinitely but you know this, he might not play again so yeah know. he's an enormous loss because he's a senior player he scored so many runs in Australia last time he is the the glue in the batting order so for whatever reason him not being there is enormously damaging to to England's chances in this series. And you have to think that this is going to be a difficult thing to come back from. That's not to say that they won't, but as much as they can come out and say, oh, you know, we were just outplayed this week, but, you know, we'll we'll bounce back. To get beaten by that margin, it has got to be a difficult thing to come back from. But yeah, as you say, I mean, first things first, Australia do deserve a hell of a lot of credit because after the year they've had, well, you know, they've not won a test since, I think, the first week of 2013. To come out and produce that performance was a phenomenal effort. And Mitchell Johnson in particular, you know, he was talked up a lot before the series. We wondered last week whether he'd really be able to turn up and, and do it in a test match, given, you know, the history. Uh, but he was absolutely superb with bull and bat. You know, I mean, it's beyond his wildest dreams, beyond the wildest dreams of any Australian supporter, I would imagine, just how dominant a figure he was in this game. I mean, England just didn't have a clue how to handle him. But, I mean, his wasn't the only fine performance, was it? Clark and Warner both produced good hundreds. Ryan Harris was excellent with the ball again. And so was Nathan Lyon, actually, who, who did pick up key wickets, most notably, perhaps, that of uh, Bell and Pryor uh, in that first innings, which was really the kind of uh, the, the central element of that collapse. Yeah, and that, well, yeah, and this is the thing. Australia did play very well, but, you know, that, that first innings collapse from England was a lot to do with their own poor batting. But, Peterson's wicket was, it was, it was needless, wasn't it? I mean, it, it, they happened, but you'd say that that was probably poor from his part. And then, I, yeah, I thought Bell and Pryor certainly shouldn't have got out the way they did. They were very poor shots when they just sort of popping the ball to short leg. And the ball just kept finding Smith. It was slightly irritating. <laughs> it's not the player you want it to be finding. Well, and if it wasn't Smith, it was Warner. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. As as brilliantly as Australia played, there's really no getting away from the fact that this was a, a horror show from England. You'd have to say it's as bad a game as they've had this century. I mean, there, there have been others, like Sabina Park in 2009 or the Oval against South Africa in 2012. But in terms of the most disappointing performance... I think this has got to be right up there because we, we didn't expect them to be this bad. And also, you know, given the, the importance of the game, it's immensely disappointing. And out of all the players in the team, you'd say that only Stuart Broad emerged from the match with any sort of credit. It's amazing to think back to that, you know, the headlines on, well, the second morning, particularly the Aussie papers, the Brisbane paper, Courier Mail, with their 
ludicrous front page, which is like, at that stage, we kind of the English media were just laughing. Yeah, and the, the Aussies were having to eat humble pie, yeah, weren't they? And the broad looks so good, and the England team looks so fired up for it. Yeah, it was the turnaround, amazing turnaround from, from Australia. Yeah, it's astonishing. And like we say, a lot of it is that Australia were brilliant, but England, in particular, the batting, it just was, I mean, it was fingers over your eyes stuff at times, wasn't it? And You'd have to say that it's been coming as well. I mean, they, they, they did manage to, they managed to escape from the summer without any kind of nightmare collapse, but it did always seem like they were constantly on the verge of one, didn't it? And in this game, we got two. Uh, they lost six for nine in the first innings and four for nine in the second innings. And like I say, it's, it's not an anomaly that necessarily because it's now 18 innings since they last went past 400 in a test, which for a side with the sort of quality that they have in terms of personnel is an appalling sequence. Uh, and it does beg the question, what's wrong? Can you answer that for me? <laughs> no, I can't. I'm not even going to try to. I mean, both sides were underwhelming in their first innings. I think momentum we talk about all the time, but clearly in the second innings, these, sorry, the second Aussie innings, there was a slight amount of momentum going with them. England had just been completely destroyed. So when they came out to bat, I, I just don't think England were really there. Uh, and they took advantage of that pretty quickly, didn't they, Warner? made quick runs and by <clears throat> by the third morning the game was already up yeah and when, you, when you're taking a, a 160 run lead into the second innings and after getting off to a decent start they were what 60 for none overnights they were 220 ahead then you can play with much more freedom than you can uh if you're a long way behind and so yeah you, you've got to have an, an, a lot of sympathy for england's bowlers i think it would be hard to blame this defeat on them uh it really was the batting that that was the issue, wasn't it? And it, it, at, at times it just looked like they'd never faced a fast bowler before, some of these England batsmen. But the thing is, they have. I mean, Cook and Bell and Peterson are extremely experienced Test match batsmen and they fronted up to people like Dale Stain and Brett Lee before, who were actually quite a bit faster than Mitchell Johnson and quite a bit more accurate as well. So it's difficult to to pinpoint a reason why they should have found him so much more difficult. I guess the the pitch was particularly bouncy. But I would suggest that it's it's mostly a psychological thing. And, you know, as we talked about before, when, once collapses start, they can be quite difficult to stop. And, you know, the batsman walking out, you know, is already battling in his mind against what, what he's expecting to come his way. And I guess that, that there was a lot of that going on here. I mean, the, the top six clearly are struggling, but arguably there's a bigger problem, which is the lower order. And right now you'd have to include Matt Pryor in that. You know, you, if you get England five down, they're more or less all out. And that puts a huge amount of pressure on the top order. And it's not how it used to be at all. I mean, prior used to be so consistent. Broad and Swan would add runs down the order, even Jimmy Anderson. But certainly in this game, there was just nothing at all from that lower order. But as bad as the batting was, it wasn't the only problem, was it? I mean, Graham Swan went around the park. Australia got after him and he conceded more than five runs per over in the second innings. Took, took two for around 200 in the game. And that has to be alarming, doesn't it, given that England depend on Swan so much? Yeah, it's, it's a concern. I think they just, in terms of the bowling, they just need to get on, play another game, get on with it, I don't know. I wouldn't be too worried, though, yet, because, I mean, it does occasionally happen with Swan where he has a really poor game. I mentioned that oval test against South Africa. He had a poor game there. He had a dreadful game in Brisbane three years ago and came back pretty strongly in the series, put in a match-winning display Adelaide uh, possibly a slightly bigger worry is that third seamer slot and it was uh, something that we worried about before the series as well Chris Tremlett was chosen 
and he certainly didn't disgrace himself but you know he's he's just not the bowler that he was three years ago and that that was again what we anticipated I had my eye very much on the speed gun throughout the whole test he was barely getting the ball above 80 miles per hour which is just medium pace and it? it's Paul Collingwood pace not to constantly describe things which aren't good enough as Paul Collingwood-esque <laughs> but uh but you know but for someone like Tremlett who isn't a swing bowler is he? I mean Anderson could get away with bowling at 82 83 miles an hour because he's swinging the ball Tremlett's type of bowling largely relies on pace to be effective and yeah, when you compare it with Mitchell Johnson, he was up around 90, 90 plus for much of his spells, yeah. It- well, it makes such a difference, that 10 miles an hour. And three years ago, Chris Tremlett was such an intimidating figure. And now he's decidedly unintimidating, isn't he? And it's not his fault, it's the injuries that have done it. But, you know, England just shouldn't be picking him, I don't think. Would you, would you bring in Steve Finn or, or Boyd Rankin for the next test? You might extra do, pace? you might do. You need, a, I think... The Aussies are going to need to shake you up. And like you say, I don't, they won't be worried about Tremlett now. I mean, he, he did get, what well, he get four wickets in the match still. Yeah, he was, which was not the worst return for an England bowler. And like I say, he, he didn't disgrace himself. He, he, he kept a relatively tight line in comparison to, to, uh, to Swan, for example. But, you know, it's, it's hard to see him running through Australia like he did on the last tour. Everyone's pinning their hopes on uh, Tim Bresnan being fit for Adelaide, but... That worries me as well because he's just had no cricket since the Durham test. And you must be worried at the moment. I'm very worried. I'm deeply, deeply worried. So like I say, the, the, the day after the end of the game, uh, Jonathan Tropp flew home from the tour, revealing that he's been suffering from a stress-related illness. In a statement, he said, quote, I don't feel that it's right that I'm playing knowing I'm not 100% and I cannot currently operate at the level I've reached in the past. My priority now is to take a break from cricket to focus on my recovery. And Andy Flower said, quote, Trotty has been struggling with a stress-related condition for some time and has managed it very successfully. He's been a brilliant international batsman for England and hopefully he will continue to be a brilliant international batsman for England in the future. But he needs time away from this environment for a while, time with his family, time to reassess and spend some quiet time with his family. This isn't the type of environment for that type of rest and the recuperation that he requires. So he's gone home. He's obviously not the first England player uh, that this has happened to. We've seen it before, haven't we, with Marcus Truscothic. We've seen it before with Michael Yardy, who flew home from the 2011 World Cup. Um, one thing that struck me is that, while this is obviously an upsetting story, both for Trot personally and for England fans, because he's a big, big loss. In a way, it's been quite pleasing, I think, to see that the reaction has predominantly, I think, been one of understanding and, and compassion. You'd say that that's largely because of Truscothic and the way that he's been able to explain himself subsequently. But it does seem like people are a lot more sympathetic towards Trot than they were to Truscothic when he first went home from India in 2006. And that's, yeah. and that's a pleasing thing, I guess. Yeah, no, I You don't want like it to happen, say, but if it's no. going to happen, it's better that that is the reaction. And like you say, the fact that we, as, you know, as a kind of the England fans as a, as a group and kind of cricket watchers and people have gone through this with Truscothic, yeah, I mean, obviously people are a lot more understanding and rightly so, the people who came out and kind of lampooned Truscothic perhaps when this happened to him, you know, the, the fact that they were quite so shot down, you know, people are, I don't think people are going to be so ready with those opinions, even though you'd imagine a lot of people probably still hold them. I don't know, that, that was, that's the feeling I'd probably get. Well, possibly, but I think Truscothic has changed a lot of people's minds as well. But, I, you know, I don't... I, wouldn't say I sympathise with those opinions, but you'd certainly you can understand why some people would be less not accepting, but kind of you know it, it, it isn't necessarily the easiest thing to understand, is it, to the onlooker? Yeah, I'll give you that. And um, mental illness isn't an easy easy thing to understand, and to a large extent, I think this is actually a a problem of language. I think that there's a an, an inadequacy in the English language here, which is that. 
the word stress and the word depression, depressed, are not sufficient here to describe what we're talking about. And because you say, well, oh, everyone's stressed. And you'd say, oh, well, you know, sometimes I feel a bit depressed. Yeah, but that's not really what we mean. That's that's not what is meant here. But you say, oh, suffering from stress and it... That's not going to elicit a lot of sympathy, but that is not what we're talking about. No. I, I heard Truscothic speak on the radio today uh, at quite a lot of length about it. The only the, the thing that I, for me that I don't understand still about this particular, I mean, I guess it's different for everyone, but just how it manifests itself physically or emotionally. I don't know. I, do, I don't think Truscothic has really articulated it too much. And I don't, you know, I don't know what the deal is with Trot. Truscothic, I don't think at any stage has really explained why or kind of what it appeared what form this kind of stress appears in i don't know he did a bit in his autobiography he's talking about it's just a kind of mental claustrophobia almost and just an inability to think straight an inability to focus on anything other than being so desperate to get away from that environment yeah. and, and go home you can see where people are coming from if they're going to be critical because you'd say well you're so lucky to be playing cricket for england so, so there's nothing to be stressed about. But, you know, I, I just don't think that that is really a, a, a serious opinion, no, to be honest. No, not at all. The lack of uh, empathy in that is, uh, j- just renders it a, a non-point for me. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. I, I think it's, it'd be, it's, pat- it's almost quite patronising to say, like, oh, well done to Trot for kind of fronting up to it. But, it, you know, in a way, definitely, because in many ways, the worst possible timing now for himself and the team but still you know it's just the right thing for him to, to kind of get out of that situation yeah and it, apparently something very similar happened to Matthew Hoggard and to Steve Harmson and to Andrew Fintoff and they didn't do that and whether that was whether that made things a lot worse in the long run I think is uh I think that's quite likely um but you know maybe England do have to think about this more seriously because if if uh you know three players have sort of openly revealed that they've been suffering from this plus at the end of their careers, three other players have revealed that they've been su- that they were suffering from this. Maybe that's not just a coincidence, and it, it might need to be addressed that the, the the level of scrutiny that these guys are under, the the level of stress that's placed on them. Well, it's, yeah, it's certainly something. One thing that struck me, you know, given that England have so kind of publicly and recently as well gone through hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This exact experience with Truscothic is kind of why or why or how it wasn't maybe detected slightly earlier. I don't know. I mean, 
certainly I've seen that the quote from Andy Flower there in talking about Trot managing it successfully for for a period of time. Presumably, none of the backroom staff were aware of it, and so you know, Trot must have come out and said, "Well, you know, I've been feeling like this for quite a while," but it's yeah. but there's yeah. been no outward kind of signs of it. So, you know, in some respects, you can't you can't blame the backroom staff and the management team for not picking up on something if you know if what is a really deeply personal thing that Trot could quite possibly have disguised. Yeah, really I mean, well. I, I I don't know the specifics of it, but from what Flower's been saying, this is something that that he at least has been aware of almost through Trot's entire international career. And I would be surprised if other members of the backroom staff and other players didn't know as well. It does beg the question of why he was continuing to be selected, but if he felt and they felt that he was managing it successfully, then I guess they figured you know that they that he could just go on doing that. Now that we know, maybe some things do start to make sense. If it was if it was reaching kind of unbearable proportions this year, then that might explain why he hasn't looked like the Jonathan Trot of old. You know, he's been losing concentration when he's batting and uh, just just not being the same player at all, has he? And people were scrutinising his technique against the short ball to Mitra Johnson, but to me, it looked less like a technical issue and more like a a mental issue because it you know he was so anxious to appear as though he was on top of this situation that he was playing silly hook shots and stuff. So yeah, so I guess it does kind of explain some of those things. I mean, you've, you've got to hope that he does come back and play for England again, haven't you? I mean, there's got to be at least a possibility that he won't play again, which would be a huge shame, I think. I mean, at this point, he's only played four years of Test cricket. I, I would have thought he's not even halfway done yet. But but at this point, you've, you've got to say it's it, it's reasonably likely that he won't play another Test. Yeah, I mean, Truscothic is the obvious example, isn't it? But at the time, though, that was more more talked about in terms of Truscothic having a problem travelling, wasn't it, and being on tour. I don't know, that's not really been mentioned with, this, with the trot situation. It's more a much more general thing. So I don't know, you know, would he play next summer? Probably not, I guess, at the moment. But Well, it depends. I mean, we don't know, I guess, at this point, not- do we? Um, but I, I, I really hope that he comes back because I like Jonathan Trot an awful lot, both as a a batsman who scores a lot of runs for England, but also as a, a man, he seems like a nice guy. So yeah, so that's that's a, a sad thing that's happened. I mean, obviously it it doesn't make David Warner look particularly great at, at the end of the third day in the, the sort of post-match, post-day rather, interview. Uh, Warner described Trot as weak. He, sa- he said that England's batsman had scared eyes and he said that Trot in particular was weak because he was backing away against Mitchell Johnson. Etc. I mean, what did you make of that? Clearly, he couldn't know anything about Trot's situation. But leaving that aside, should he be saying anything like that in the media? Alistair Cook described it as disrespectful. Do you agree? No, no, I don't agree. I don't. Clearly, in the light of what's happened, doesn't look great. But I don't. This is, I don't have any problem with someone saying or one player calling someone's on-pitch behaviour out for for what they see it as i don't know like clearly david warner wasn't saying trot's a bad person or a, you know a coward or anything he kind, any of kind of was saying he was a coward though but it's in a sporting context though you could that's an, a valid opinion i don't know if you if you say in another sport oh you know this person's scared of taking on i don't know kind of taking on high risk shots or taking on you know that this in football oh you know mentally this person can't take a penalty you know it's you wouldn't have a problem with that, I don't think. Uh, I'm not sure. I, th- I, 
I I didn't like it. I have to say, I did think it was a bit out of order. And I appreciate that I'm feeling a bit sensitive at the moment as an England fan. But I would stand by that because I don't think that uh, you should make disparaging remarks about another player in the media. I mean, it's one thing to be sort of sledging him on the field in that way. But particularly, like, I mean, I guess it shouldn't make a difference. But particularly when, you know, out of the two... Trot is the one with the the better and more established record, and you know of the two, Warner is the one with all his work still ahead of him. That, so that, that I, sounds pretty disrespectful when you put it in that context. Yeah. But I don't know. It, then again, the Australian cricket team have very much got their backs to the wall record-wise. This team, anyway, haven't they? Because they're coming off the back of three series defeats. Last time they played in Australia, they got absolutely bashed, and then they lost heavily. In England in the summer will be you know slightly closer. You get the feeling that the Australian team has very much leapt on this kind of immediate failing very early on of England's side here. To a certain extent, I think fair enough. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying I, I don't understand why they're doing it. Yeah, they, they, you know, they've obviously gotten, they've obviously had a, a very tough year. They haven't won a Test match for a long time. To have won a Test and won a Test in such a comprehensive fashion it must be pretty exhilarating and it must feel like a huge relief as well so I, I understand why that's been the reaction but as a professional sportsman you should be able to rein yourself in a little bit it's one thing clearly though Warner on is the pitch. somewhat of a loose cannon isn't yeah he? but I mean, that's, my, that's my point he is it's petulant and it, it just it doesn't paint him in a great light and the whole Australian team as well the reaction is very much that there's been a sort of attempt to embarrass England not just with their cricket but with their words as well and there's a lot of cricket left to be played in this series and maybe at the end of it if they win 5-0 or something that might be slightly more justified but at this point it just to me it just seems a bit kind of uh, a bit over the top um I mean yeah the- it's, it's jumping the gun definitely you know as a put my England fan hat on it is jumping the gun but in terms of what you can and what you can't say I don't know you can compare it to boxing and the kind of stuff that gets said before Fight, big fight, you know. Yeah, but I don't it's like not the that same sport, and, and, and definitely boxing is way is way over the top at times. But in a way, you know, if you put the trot thing aside, which you can't really now, but if you if you do your best to, you know, the series as a spectacle is way is is now a way higher level than it was three weeks ago. Yeah, and- it was flat in the summer. It really, it really was flat. I, I felt. That now, you know, the, the second test is huge for, for any number of reasons. Yeah, I'll give you that. There, there, there's no doubt about that. And I'm, I'm not saying that I, I'd want everyone to just be nice to each other. And obviously, for, uh, for pundits like ourselves, we're allowed to say that players have got a weakness against a short ball or to, you know, describe someone's batting as weak. Uh, well, I think largely, you know, we're in a great position to talk about it because because no one, none of the players are listening. And well, also, as you know, in youth cricket, the, certainly my mental kind of my mental fragility on the pitch was second to none. Uh, you know, and, I, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it's easier for us to laugh about it, but and because and I do treat it very much as a joke. I know if it's your career and you're at the highest level and you're under considerably more scrutiny than just from you uh you know maybe it does take on a, a certain intensity but I don't and know. yeah and I think to an extent this is why I'm particularly uncomfortable about talking disparagingly about the way someone plays the short ball because it is whether um deliberately or not it, there's issues of masculinity and things coming into it you know if Trot had an issue where he was fishing outside of stump and Warner made a comment saying oh we just toss it up outside of stump and he's going to nick off it wouldn't be the same i think there's there's an element here that it's it's becoming personal beyond 
just you know sort of cricketing technique thing no, and, sure. that, and that what makes that's what makes me uncomfortable because yeah like we can sit here and say you know a certain batsman's got a weakness against the short ball but Clearly, if we went out to face Mitchell Johnson, I mean, it's an unbelievably difficult thing to do. And that doesn't mean that you don't have a right to have an opinion about it. But like, I think it's, it's just a little bit different to you know any other kind of aspect of technique. Yeah, but I mean, there is a lot of history with the short wall, obviously, and aggressive body line bowling. You know, clearly there is history there. But every single series, there will be one, two, three or more batsman who's who's got a problem with a short ball you know just barely you know you would barely watch an innings of cricket without a commentator saying about a batsman walking in oh well you know he's obviously got a problem with the short ball i don't know there's you know it's just it's a part of the, the game yeah no, absolutely i'm not a lot of players a lot of players are very good at playing short balls i'm they? not for one second saying that it shouldn't be a part of cricket it's a brilliant thing to watch and you know if you've got a, a weakness in your technique against a short ball then that's something that bowlers are obviously going to exploit but I'm saying for another player to come out and and describe uh, someone as weak or say essentially call him a coward for you know just trying to say he was backing away which I actually don't think he was doing to start with um I think it was more that he was he was getting so worked up about trying to prove that he didn't have a problem against it that he was trying to take on balls that he shouldn't have been taking on but I can't even remember what I was talking about. Saying this is well, well, let's move on slightly. Um, I, yeah. Just talk about. I wanted to talk- okay, sorry, I just wanted to make the point as well. You know, it, there's, there's obviously many different relationships within a cricket arena. If you like, uh, you know, there's players to players, fans as well, and you know, England fans have given Mitchell Johnson a lot of stick over the years. Uh, you know, and he's come back and answered it. Whether you think he should have to answer it, I don't know. But yeah, you know, he's taken a, a hell of a lot of criticism and humiliation from from fans constantly. So I, I, yeah, I, I no, and, and, you know, no, people, but, people. I don't think many pundits have been too ready to to call out the England fans for doing that. So no, well, that's obviously true. Yeah. But I'm not saying that Australian fans aren't well within their rights to say anything they like. I'm talking about a, an Australian Test match player saying about an England Test match player, or vice versa. I, I don't think yeah, yeah. that's on. I think people say things that they don't necessarily think through think through exactly and you know we've seen it Warner's it's not the Warner's first time is it in the spotlight in the spotlight so yeah I don't know yeah. sometimes people punch people and they don't think it through <laughs> what about uh, Michael Clark? he was he was fined 20% of his match fee uh, because he was picked up on the, the stump mic uh, telling Jimmy Anderson to get ready for a broken swear wording arm uh, did you agree with that penalty or was that an overreaction to what Clark said. I mean, obviously, there's a context to it, which is that Anderson and Bailey were engaged in uh, quite a quite a lengthy on-field spat, and we don't know what Bailey said, and we don't know what Anderson said. The only thing that was actually picked up by the microphone is what Clark said. Was that an overreaction to to what he said to find him twenty percent of his match fee? Again, probably, yeah, I think so. It's 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 not the nicest thing you're going to hear, is it? I don't know. But what's the issue? I mean, the issue is that he's the captain, I guess. That's should, part of it, yeah. Yeah, should he be stoking the fire quite that much? I don't know. It's not just you know, what he said as well, as it is the way that he said it and the, the look of pure hatred in his eyes when he said it and you know, there was a lot of finger-pointing going on. Um, again, it's, it's fairly easy to work out what was happening in the sense that Clark was overexcited because Australia were about to win when they haven't won for a long time and Anderson was angry because England were about to lose when they haven't lost for a long time. But there's been a reaction from a lot of Aussie fans along the lines of, you know, it's it's... 
it, it's all just banter. There's, there's, a, there's a, a tendency to write things off as banter, which I'm sure you sympathise with. That's kind of how you well, live your life. No, no, uh, no. I don't, I don't, <laughs> write you know, it all I off as banter. banter. No, it's a dirty word, isn't it? It is a dirty word, though. No, it's like a... I don't, rightly or wrongly, probably mostly rightly, it's, a, it's, not a, it's not a kind of thing to hide behind. But I, I do slightly disagree that... I disagree with the assertion that this kind of this kind of thing. I don't know. It is it is just banter. It is just banter. You, know, <laughs> you went no through all that it. and yeah. ended up with well, it is just banter, though, isn't it? There is. I don't know. There's no. There's no other word for it, is there? I don't know. Again, it's another language issue. Yeah. I don't know. What what is the other word for it? It's not all just banter. Is well, that, that my, is just banter, though. I don't know. That is just banter. Isn't not, it, at the end of the I day. don't know if it is because there's like there's nothing personal about it. There's nothing. And I, yeah, it's like cricket sledging does get out of hand slightly on that at, at times, but it, it's not constant. I don't think Clark was saying to every after every single delivery, you know, I'm going to freaking get ready for a freaking broken insert get body part, you know. Freaking <laughs> broken ear, man. You, anything. you know, clearly, uh, again, it's another instance where things got slightly heated and something was said, I don't know. A- yeah, I mean, and to a large extent, Clark's crime is that it was picked up by the stump mic and I'm sure that Anderson would have been said, saying something pretty similar. And if we are to believe Shane Warne, who apparently has spoken to the Australian players, Anderson started it by threatening to punch George Bailey in the face. But, but my point is that 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 and what Clark said are not just banter. I mean, the 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 idea that it's all just banter. I mean, presumably there is a line somewhere. The well, there qu- is a line. The, yeah, the question is, is yeah, the question no. is, did they? Cross well, the answer it? is no. I don't okay. think they did. Yeah, I mean, I for me, I think yeah, that might be a little bit too far. And it, it, like I say, it's not just the words; it's the the way in which they were said and the dynamic between those two men at that point was was pretty ugly. I think. And that that's more concerning to me than if someone jovially threatens to break someone's arm. <laughs> um, this isn't a double standard for me. I mean, I think probably Anderson should have been investigated as well. I'm I'm not trying to say that Warner is out of line and Clark's out of line because they're Australian. I mean, if if an English player had said that, I would want them reprimanded as well. I think I think there is a line, and I think they probably crossed it. Yeah, I don't know. I... <laughs> Kind of you hear people saying that the kind of on-field chat is too much now in cricket, but you know, actually, when you're in the field, what else have you got? You're just stood, <laughs> you know, you're stood, you're stood in the sun for like eight hours. Two hours before your next baguette. Yeah, it's exactly. The ball comes to you. You know, the ball's coming to you once every forty minutes, maybe if you're in, if you're lucky at times. Uh, so I yeah, I don't have a certain sympathy. <laughs> Do you think that is what it is? Well, they're no. just bored. No, I don't. Possibly. I don't, not bored, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, you can't affect the game if you're stood at point unless the ball comes to you. So what, what else are you going to do? You've got to just chirp up. And actually, you, you we, might you know, be right. Yeah, you yeah might when be. we play cricket, that's the things you remember most fondly, really, is when people, someone says something really dumb or... Bowl him a piano, let's yeah. see if he can play that. And exactly. like, now I'm on chat. the floor laughing for the next, <laughs> yeah, the next five minutes. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a murky one. And all, cricket and sport and life is very sanitised now. And I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not both them, and I'm not going to spout both what I, probably both them would say. But definitely worse things have been said on the cricket pitch than that. Yes, the stump mics are there now, and should that be the thing they're thinking of most? Or right, first and foremost, there is a stump mic here before playing the game. I don't know. Probably not. It is a difficult one, and as you say, worse things have undoubtedly been said, but th- that doesn't make it okay. I mean, I, those things shouldn't have been said either. I'm all for banter. I'm all about the banter me. I, I don't have a problem with sledging by any means, but there is a line, and, you know, I, I think... Well, where is the line? Presumably they've crossed it in your eyes. So, like, yeah. it's kind of 
backtracking to find the line? Where, at what point do you find it? You can say... What you, if he'd said, if Clark had been like, get ready for some short stuff, it's going to hurt. <laughs> he'd just, he'd just he said, said that. Yeah, you'd better get ready for a short pitch delivery. <laughs> yeah, is that, I don't know, is that... Get ready for an injured freaking elbow. That would have been fine in my, in my eyes. No, like I say, it's, it's, I mean, I'm repeating myself now, but it's not what was said. It's the way it was said that I didn't like. Uh, and Anderson too. I mean, it, there's a very hostile atmosphere around this series now, which in one way makes it quite exciting. But uh, I don't know. I don't know whether it's the best thing for, for cricket necessarily. The beauty of it is it's, it really looks like it's potentially really well poised, even though that result was so one-sided. I think we'd, I think we'd still think you know, England have got to be better than this. So it's going to be a really good series. And the fact that both teams are so het up about it suggests that it's really there to be won. England have got a week and a half now to uh, to sort themselves out before Adelaide. What's your feeling, Tone? Can you see them bouncing back like they did in India? Uh, or is Australia's momentum unstoppable? Well, it's, I don't know. That's really hard. It's really hot in here as well. It's, it's sweltering in here. It's absolutely scorching in here. It was freezing outside. Like, I don't Jesus know. Christ. Uh... Uh, do you mind if I get shirtless? <laughs> Do you mind if I broadcast shirtless? I've got no problem with that. I've got no problem. Uh, I don't know. It's really hard to call. Well, I was trying to console myself by thinking, I think actually this test is quite a lot like the Lords test, but in reverse, where Australia got absolutely flattened at Lords, didn't they? And I was thinking, oh, that's all right, because you know, they came back into the series, but of course they didn't actually win any games. <laughs> so, I mean, I hope England don't panic. You know, it is their first test defeat for a year. There's no, yeah, there's no need to panic. They've got a decent whack of time now, which is, it seems ridiculous now after one test. I think they need to go away and regroup. But they can go away and regroup. They've got a tour match to play, uh, a few days to, to get sorted. The trot thing certainly clouds it a bit, as it muddies the water slightly because, for, well, for obvious reasons, but it, you know, it's, it's, diff- it's more difficult now than it was even when that final wicket fell. So I, I, I don't know. Yes, I think that England have got to get better they can't play. They can't, they can't play any worse than that. So, on oh, so that you, basis, mean, you think England? You mean England have got to get better in the sense that England will get better? Well, England just... can, they can't play any worse. Well, they okay. can't bat any worse. <laughs> I thought you meant England probably need to get better <laughs> if they if they want to win. Can Australia maintain that? I'm asking myself questions now and answering them, cutting you out. Okay. Uh, no, I don't know. Can England? Can Australia keep it up? Possibly. Probably not, though. Not not to that extent. I don't know. But still, uh, yeah, it's going to be closer, isn't it? It's got to be. You would hope so as an England fan, wouldn't you? Much like the cold that I've had for so long, I can barely remember a time before I had it. This episode of the World Cricket Show is stubbornly refusing to go away. Uh, but let's put a stop to it now, shall we, Tone? <laughs> let's try. Are you over your cold that you had last week? Yeah, just about. Yeah. Didn't get much sympathy for that from... You or anyone. <laughs> I gave you some sympathy. No. Yeah, what are you talking about? No, I don't remember that. I was actually, uh, we were talking about it, weren't we, on last week's show, how we both had colds. And there was a real missed opportunity there for a gag tone. We just said we were coming down with Ash's fever. And I thought of that, and I was really annoyed with you for not thinking of it. I was like, <laughs> God damn it, Kerr. That's what you're here that for. good. If you're here for anything, it's that. Did you have a good birthday, though? Yeah, it's solid, yeah. It's your birthday on Saturday, wasn't it? Yeah. Happy birthday. Thanks, mate. I sent you a Facebook message and a, and a tweet. Did. And now I'm saying on the podcast as well. Overwhelmed. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
How old are you? 33? 20, yeah. 20 what? Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm going to tell people from now on. You can't start lying about your age. I'm not lying. Point. I'm just redacting the second <laughs> number. Blaring it. 20, there. 20, blur. I couldn't make your birthday party, of course. So, yeah. Well, you deliberately book it. Wait, yeah, you can I go try to Island every year for it. Try to make sure I'm away <laughs> uh, this time every year. I just, fair I, enough. I don't want to be anywhere near that type of debauchery, to be honest. No, and you're right to be. Uh, yeah, I, I, I get less excited about birthdays, you know. Yeah, you're saying you're a bit unenthusiastic about the whole thing. I'm, I'm at an age now where every day is my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> In many ways, because... You don't need a special day. I do, I said, yeah, I don't need a treat. I don't deserve one. <laughs> So that's, that kind of rules out that aspect of it. Also, if I want, you know, I don't need presents. If I want to sit, yeah, you know, I just do what I want, really. <laughs> you're, you're, you're so free of responsibility. At the moment, enjoying that, yeah. Enjoying. You can just do whatever you like. Yeah. No, it's good. It's all right, though. It's nice, isn't it? It's nice for other people. <laughs> not joking. I, really, I don't like my birthday at all. I much prefer other people's birthdays. Just draw a line under it, Tone. Just no more birthdays. Just yeah. Stay at 20 er forever. Cause next weekend's not far away now either, is it? You got any plans? It's Monday. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's almost Friday. It's getting close. <laughs> uh, well, I'm actually. Uh, what am I doing? There's a Christmas parade. The Christmas lights get switched on oh, yeah. uh, here in Guernsey on Saturday, and I'm dressed dressing as Woody in that parade. Have I told Woody, you about this? No, you haven't told me about this. <laughs> <laughs> Woody from Toy Story. Yeah, Woody from. Oh Toy my Story. god! Well, I got roped into it at the last minute uh, because there is a free bar and free dinner in the evening. Uh, <laughs> But there were only two characters left to choose from when I got the, the who, stage I got pulled this? into. Who is this? Who's organising this? Uh, like a local company. Right. Yeah. What and, do you mean you got roped into it? Well, there were short of guys, to, uh, short of people to play the male characters. So, I mean, there, there were lots, there's lots of upshots to this. <laughs> you know, I just can walk around. It's just you and a load of tolly birds going to switch the Christmas lights on. <laughs> More or less. <laughs> uh, but there were only two characters left by the time I got involved. Hagrid and Woody. <laughs> so I went for Woody. I could see you as Hagrid, actually, to yeah. be fair. I thought Woody was a bit, bit more... Oh, my God. I did ask them, though, do Can kids I... even know who Woody is anymore? I thought Woody was like... Woody's from my generation. Toy Story 3 only came out a couple of years ago, mate. That is sad. Is there a way that I can come and witness this? Well, you can, you can line the streets with everyone else. <laughs> I can't believe you're going to be dressing as Woody. It's slightly absurd. In a Christmas parade, that's amazing. Yeah, I don't really know what I've got to do yet. It's only going to last a couple of hours. I think I have to get uh, letters from kids and pass them on to Santa. Jesus Christ. Well, looking forward to that in a big way. I'll see if I can take some pictures <laughs> and I'll put them on our Facebook and our Twitter, which listeners might like to check out. It's facebook.com slash cricket show uh, at cricket show. Is to all intents and purposes me at Tony Cover is Tony T O N Y C V double R. I'm just, I'm doing my best to tweet during the cricket, at least when I'm awake watching it. Yeah, I managed to let off a few tweets while I was still awake. Uh, yeah, and I'm you know I'm I'm living for retweets. Now. You are that's, doing well. <laughs> that's my that's pretty much my life at this point. You can send us an email. That's worldcricketshow at gmail dot com. Find all of this stuff on our website, which is cricketshow.net, and check us out on iTunes. Uh, once again, we're being featured on uh, the homepage of the yeah, iTunes we paid store. For this. Uh, well, along with all the other cricket podcasts, to be fair, but we are certainly, <laughs> undeniably, being we are featured. W- yeah, we are one of the cricket podcasts on <laughs> iTunes. Um, so check that out and uh, write a review for us if you've got a spare couple of minutes, because we do really appreciate that. And you know, I, I worry that some people think, "Oh, I want to write a review, but you know, I, I can't. You know, what would I say?" 
but it doesn't matter. You don't have to write like an essay. Just write something. That's the price for listening to this yeah, show. That's it. It's free, except for your time. Well, anyway, yeah, that's about it for this week, then. Uh, we'll be back soon to talk more Ashes. But until then, stay in school, everybody. Uh, I literally cannot wait for the weekend now to, uh, <laughs> to, to experience this woody I've got a very big situation. head, and I tried the hat on, and it's absolutely tiny. <laughs> it doesn't even begin to fit, so I don't know what I'm going to do about that. You're basically just going as a kind of camp cowboy, aren't you? I'm worried about it. I'm, the closer it gets, it seemed like a really good idea at the time. But <laughs> bear in mind how much stick you've given me for the last like ten years for not even, but at one point possibly would have been going as Phil the Bin, the Bin character for some like local fate here. I was asked to do yeah. that, which I didn't even do, and you still bring up with, with groups of people that we don't know very well. Like, oh, this guy constantly. No, and no, now you're no, voluntarily no, going as Woody. What are you doing? Giving something back to the community. What are you doing this Christmas? Just resting on my laurels. Yeah, really. why not? Yeah, just go for it, mate. Well, I'm looking forward to it anyway. Cool. Cool. See you next time, guys. Cheery. Bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.